Welcome to the MedEvidence Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Corrin and Michelle McCormick. MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the real truth behind medical research with both a clinical and research perspective. In this podcast, we'll have discussions with physicians that have extensive experience in patient care and research. How do you know that something works? In medicine, we conduct clinical trials to see if things work. Now, let's get the truth behind the data. Welcome to MedEvidence, powered by Encore Research Group. Go to EncoreDocs.com. Welcome back. MedEvidence, truth behind the data. Four-part series. Today's topic is longevity. Can medical research help us live longer? We've answered those in the past three parts. If you haven't listened to them, go back. <laughs> Joining me today, Dr. Michael Corrin, founder and CEO of Encore Research Group and a practicing cardiologist. Dr. Corrin has been principal investigation investigator rather of over 2,500 clinical trials and published extensively in the most prestigious journals in the world. Also joining us today, Dr. Victoria Hilo, a well-respected pediatrician, also a clinical research investigator and practicing in the emergency room. We have had a really great topic about how to live longer. I mean, basically it is the uh, simplest Something answer. Something we all want to do. <laughs> there, are, there are three pretty simple ways to make that. And let's talk briefly about those. And um, they sound simple, but uh, Avoid some work has hazardous to go. things, yeah. maximize healthy lifestyle, and discover relevant medical evidence and apply its wisdom. Boom. That's it. Yep. Done. All right. Fist pump. Moving on. Drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's a little more complicated than that. You know, uh, we, we the, touched the on. The the details, as they say. Right. Exactly. The, the hazardous, uh, the avoiding hazardous things, defining hazardous, you know, as uh, staying off of ladders. We learned something new today. But, um, and then maximizing healthy lifestyle. We talked about a lot about nutrition and, and avoiding the sun and, and risk factors. But, you know, what about the things you hear about all the time, an aspirin a day keeps the doctor away. Mm -hmm. How does, how does something like that fit into our life? Yeah. So that's been an interesting story over the last 50 years. And uh, I have a lot of patients that come in, Oh, I heard it's bad to take an aspirin now. And it's an interesting phenomenon is that the, the way stories get reported is sometimes very, very confusing for people because the media will report the top line, but they won't report the details. So recently, something came out that showed that if you get to age 70 and you haven't had a heart attack or a stroke and you don't have heart disease, you don't need to take an aspirin. And it's for a simple reason, is that you're very unlikely to die or have a major problem related to a heart attack or a stroke if you can get to 70 without it. So those are people who tend to have either great genes or have been practicing healthy lifestyle and avoiding hazardous things. Mm -hmm. So if you can do that and you get to 70, don't need an aspirin. But what those stories don't tell you is that if you had a heart attack at 50, you definitely need to take an aspirin when you're 70, even if you're doing well. Or if you have hypertension and high cholesterol and diabetes, you definitely need to take an aspirin. Or if you just have diabetes and have little lumps and bumps in your coronary arteries, you should take an aspirin. So again, the devil is in the details. And certainly the data on aspirin is very, very robust. And more broadly, the data showing that anti-inflammatory drugs make a difference. 
So aspirin has some interesting properties. It's an antiplatelet agent. It makes the platelets, which is the sticky part of the blood, less sticky, mm-hmm. which is important, and also has some you know, modest but important anti-inflammatory properties. And many, many studies have shown that if you've had a heart attack or a stroke, aspirin is essential to prevent another. And if you're just high risk, uh, one of the nice studies that was done you know, now 40 years ago was a study of physicians between age 40 and 80, just taking an aspirin a day as a preventive therapy. These are people who had no known history of heart disease, and it turned out it helped those folks as well. Well, there's you know, ibuprofen and acetaminophen also. So where, what are the differences? Well, they are, ibuprofen is an anti-inflammatory. Tylenol acetaminophen is primarily a pain reliever, and aspirin is an anti-inflammatory that has its the positive quality of affecting, as he said, the platelets, whereas the ibuprofen, that is not one of its major actions, and so it's that platelet quality in the aspirin that makes it distinctively different, and again, it takes a very small amount of it to get that positive benefit and to get some of, as he said, modest anti-inflammatory effect. The low dose that you take for prevention is not going to help your um, uh, swollen you know, ankle feel better. Yeah, and then what about like baby aspirin versus... That is what you take. Okay, it, so it aspirin. is baby aspirin. Yeah, it's interesting. We, we know a lot about aspirin, but the exact dose is still subject to debate. So, quote, baby aspirin is low-dose aspirin, typically about 81 milligrams. Outside of the U.S., it's 100 milligrams. Mm. So, even from country to country, low-dose mm. aspirin is different. Standard aspirin, adult-size aspirin here in the U.S. is 325 milligrams but it can be different in different places. And some of the early studies looked at higher doses. So there's still a debate about is 81 best, is 100 best, is 180 best. But bottom line is that low-dose aspirin defined as between 81 and 325 milligrams a day is good. It should typically be buffered so it's easy on your stomach. And again, it's patient-centric. So if you're less than 40 years old, or quite frankly, less than 50 years old, and don't have any other cardiovascular problems and uh, no high-risk markers, then there's probably no reason to take it. If you're between 50 and 75, certainly, and don't know your cardiovascular status, it's a good idea to take. And if you have coronary disease or if you've had a stroke, obviously in consultation with your doctor or peripheral arterial disease, then you should be taking aspirin, something like that. And just to um, magnify uh, Dr. Hilo's point, uh, ibuprofen is called a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agent. And there's others on the market also, mm-hmm. um, uh, Voltaren, uh, Naproxen, a bunch of them. And they're all in the same class. And they do have they do have very profound anti-inflammatory properties. And they may actually help heart disease a little bit, but they've not been studied the same way as aspirin has been studied. And they're not considered to be as beneficial as a regular medication that you should take all the time. Plus, they're more likely to cause a gastric upset and other mm-hmm. problems because the dosages are essentially higher. Yeah, and I'm guessing these are clinical trials that are still in research that is yes. ongoing as, you know, from whenever they began to, you know, as but products you, get you, made. Yeah, you hit on a very important point, though. We talked about people who have had a heart attack, people who do have known things such as high blood pressure. But the other thing that you said was um, your your 
profiles of what is your lipid profile mm-hmm. and if you it's important that as far as um, longevity that we know that and we have to have that done especially after the age 50 of knowing what is our cholesterol and what is the breakdown of that cholesterol because that in and of itself is a risk factor whether you have the high blood pressure to go along with it or the peripheral artery disease or the known um, you know stroke or narrowing of the arteries and etc is to just know that in and of itself and how that can be um, a profound indicator for whether you should be on some aspirin or not. The diabetic who has the little buildup in their arteries is going to have a risk of having clots and and therefore aspirin may be beneficial. So this whole research that came out and was all over the media of you shouldn't be taking it if you don't have any risk factors. Well, they didn't really define the risk factors. Mm -hmm. And some people don't even know they have the risk factor because they're not doing the routine healthy checkup to then get that blood work done and know those markers that they may have that are also risk factors. Yeah, so I was going to say, how important is it to know your numbers, your cholesterol numbers? Well, if you if you don't know your numbers, then you're just in the dark. Yeah. So everybody should know their numbers. They should know the breakdown of good and bad cholesterol. If you have a strong family history, you should know your lipoprotein little a. Uh, family history being defined as um, somebody who's died of a heart attack or stroke before the age of 60. And um, a lot of these things are genetically mediated. And genetically mediated things were often thought to be not modifiable. But now that we know a lot more about genetics, we're actually able to modify these things. So there's huge breakthroughs with uh, RNA technology and other things that we're working on now in our clinic that's just tremendous. So Mm -hmm. stuff that was not previously treatable is very treatable these days. Does aspirin treat a virus? Not particularly, not specifically, no. Aspirin will treat some of the symptoms of having a viral infection, but it doesn't have any direct antiviral effects. Okay, all right. But we do have stuff that has direct antiviral effects, which is also stuff we're doing in research, which is also avoiding hazardous things. (laughs) So the truth is you can't avoid all viruses. They're everywhere. It's ubiquitous. But you can avoid intense exposures to viruses. So if, if somebody's sick, you need to stay away from them. Um, I've been promoting uh, doing the COVID handshake. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, you can still connect with people with the COVID handshake yeah. without uh, without uh, sharing secretions, you know, sweaty palms and other things. Even actually hugging is probably a less easy way to transmit viruses than to shake hands. Hmm. Shaking hands is an incredibly efficient way of transmitting viruses because we're touching our face and nose and mouth all the time. Your, your hands are moist. The other person's hands are moist. You shake hands and you just basically spread all the germs. Yeah. So that would be, a, 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 it's a, and that's not easy. And sometimes people give me a funny look because I give them the COVID handshake, but I still feel like I connect with people with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it, it's interesting now you walk up to people and it's like, are we shaking hands? Are we hugging? Are we fist pumping? Are we arm bumping? You know, it, it it's become part of our lifestyles right now. Uh, you know, how are we approaching people? But that's still a great way to avoid hazardous situations of spreading germs. If you're not going to do the prevention of getting the vaccines, um, then you need to do the uh, avoiding hazards. Well, you can do both. (laughs) So so, so just to be clear, vaccines are focused on one virus, whereas avoiding handshaking is avoiding all viruses. (laughs) So 
keep in mind that you know, everybody's been talking about COVID, and I think we're finally at the tail end of this whole thing, thank God. But there's a lot of viruses out there, and we're doing research on that as we speak. So there's how many cases of RSV have you seen in the emergency room mm. in the last few months versus COVID? Plenty of them. Parainfluenza, influenza, um, other coronaviruses. There, there are tons of different viruses out there that cause respiratory illnesses. And uh, we actually now have the medical resources and the, the research showing that vaccines prepare our immune system for these eventualities of being exposed to them. And for that reason, um, uh, people can come into our offices and get involved in some of these programs and uh, be part of advancing science, which is another interesting part of uh, medical evidence that we can talk a little bit more about. But more broadly is uh, being part of literally, literally a humankind fight against viruses that has been going on forever. So do do you take vaccines, do not take vaccines? I mean, it is a debate not to be had here, but is there an RSV vaccine? We're not afraid to debate that here. Uh, hey, I'm all, I'm all, it's not open I'm for all debate. For it. For it. <laughs> if you want to live longer, you get your vaccines. It's well, very simple yeah, data to prove that. Yeah, well, again, proven vaccines. Proven so vaccines. not all, you know, so vaccines, is a, it's an ancient concept that if you give somebody uh, exposure to something in a controlled fashion, they're protected when they get exposed to that in an uncontrolled fashion. You know, that's really what it comes down to. And it's very natural. Um, some people like the concept of being natural. Well, there's nothing more natural than vaccine because you're just teaching your immune system what to do. So we're actually marrying this uh, very natural principle with modern science, and we're creating with, with RNA these incredibly specific molecules that teach your immune system exactly what to do and to be prepared. And it's not going to stop all viruses. And, and, and in fact, as we know, there will be breakthrough cases of COVID and other things. But because your immune system is prepared, you won't get so sick. Mm -hmm. Simple. Simple enough. Yeah, that's why we do the vaccines. And that's why we're doing the research. And as we speak, we're doing COVID studies and RSV studies and um, chikungunya studies and a bunch of other nasty things out there that we can protect people from. Well, Dr. Michael Corin, who is the founder and CEO of Encore Research Group, and Dr. Victoria Hilo, a clinical research investigator and ER doctor, as well as a well-respected pediatrician. Thank you for participating in uh, Longevity. And I think we kind of answered the question, can medical research help us live longer? You think we got there? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> I think so too. Med evidence, truth behind the data. And um, I thank you both for being here today. Thanks for having us. host Michelle McCormick and we want to thank Dr. Michael Corin for his clinical and research perspective behind the science in this episode of Med Evidence the truth behind the data.